Good? Good? Awesome. You know, Brian, I was going to put on my notes, don't forget the kids. And you know what? Because when you get into worship with the Lord and you're communing with the Holy Spirit, everything goes out the window. You don't, you don't really care about the order of the service. You just are communing with him. So thanks, guys. Um, I couldn't help this morning. Zach came up to me and he was like, hey, man, I've got to be at work at uh, 2 o'clock. So let's not be long-winded. And uh, I, I couldn't help but think about Billy Graham. His first time he gave a message, I think he, he had all this stuff prepped and he preached his message in like eight minutes. And then he was done and he made the hard close and it was like, bam, and everyone just kind of stood there and looked at him. So um, the good thing for me, though, is that the Eagles are on a bye week this week, so I have no reason to hurry home. So absolutely not. All right, guys, so we've been in this this strong series lately. Pastor Dave has so faithfully walked through this series. And one of the things I just want us to recognize this morning um, I know Dave's not here this morning, and I, I kind of wish he was here, but um, I know he's celebrating um, like the wedding of his brother. He got to officiate that yesterday, which was really awesome. Yeah, yeah. But here's one of the things that you really recognize the longer that you work with somebody and you do ministry and life together is just how great of a pastor that we have. So I can address you here now. He's a great pastor. And we should be thankful that we have him. There are not many pastors out there that are willing to lay their life open like an open book and tell you about their weaknesses and the areas where they fall and then come back and say, listen, guys, I need you to know about that because together we can do this. So I just wanted to say this morning that um, I'm so thankful for Dave. And I know that like last week he says, I'm, I'm the guy, I'm hard on him, I, right? I speak the truth to him, and I'm like, bam, 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 bam. And sometimes he wants to, as he said, punch me in my shaven face. But uh, he's, my, he's one of my best friends, and uh, I'm so thankful for him. I hope you guys can appreciate him as much as I do. So he's been going through this strong series, and we've been going through like a series of statements. Like um, last week, like, Greater growth requires greater community, and greater growth requires greater love. And uh, I'm not going to go back because, one, I can't remember all of them, but two, because those are the two um, last messages or sermons that we've heard. And today, I feel like what the Lord has put on my heart brings it all together. Okay? It ties it all together, um, puts a little bow on it, and sends us off into kind of a new season from here. Now, I have not spoken to Dave if that's what's going to happen, but that's what I feel from the Lord, so I'm just going to speak here right now, okay? So we might have one more week of that, but um, but here's the bottom line for this week. I'm just going to shoot really straight with you guys. The, the, the title of the sermon is, um, Greater Growth Requires Great Knowledge, right? When I hear that, I think of like Lord of the Rings, Indiana Jones, those types of movies, those epic movies that we love to watch, right? Feel like Yoda should be like up here giving the message, right? May the force be with you, Mikey. Yeah. If somebody makes a Chewbacca sound right now, I'll just lose it. <laughs> so as I was prepping for this message, um, to be completely transparent, I I. I honestly, it, it was a struggle 
And sometimes when, I, when I'm prepping for a message, it's a little, little bit more easier. It flows a little better, and, you know, maybe I've already experienced this, so I'm able to just speak on it and just really um, hammer some stuff out. But here's, here's why it was difficult, because anybody who gets up here and actually um, delivers a, a message or anybody that teaches, Bill, when you teach in your class, Margo, when she teaches her class, there's this, there's this verse in Ephesians 4 that says, like, our job is to equip you guys. And so <clears throat> what happens a lot of times is, like, that's really great, but that means that I have to, I feel like I have to be mature in an area to speak on, Okay. That's like, that's probably pride speaking, but I just want to be transparent with you guys. And so I began to pray to the Lord this week about this, about this thought that I was having in Ephesians 4. And he said to me, uh, Ephesians 4 basically says that he, he equips us for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And he says he does that so then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by cunning and craftiness of people um, in their deceitful um, scheming. So I'm reading that, and I'm like, Lord, this is really a difficult one for me, because <clears throat> I feel like maybe I'm an infant here. Additionally, when when we're really honest with ourselves and we really do like a, like a truthful introspection, we are very keenly aware of our imperfection, okay? If, we, if we're like really honest with ourselves. And so as I was very keenly aware of my imperfection, all the areas in which I come up short. Uh, and specifically, as I was thinking about this specific message, uh, I began to pray to God and just say, God, I'm not 100% mature here. And I don't want to go up front and preach a message where I feel like I'm being a hypocrite. Um, it's not something I've, that I've necessarily um, walked through. And also, like, I've never really had to try and equip people with something like this. So I felt very immature. So let's just really quickly understand that maturity doesn't mean like perfection. It just means experience. Okay? It means experience. So this is what the Lord said to me. It was beautiful. All right? So first of all, I just want you to know God likes to have conversations like this with everybody. He said to me, there are areas where you are mature and areas where you are still an infant. Everybody has those areas but this is why I gave you the body of Christ. If the foot has an itch, does the hand not scratch it? The same is true in your maturity. Where you are an infant, there are others who are mature, and where they are infants, you are mature. How funny, right? Like, God knows my sense of humor. Like, if you have an itch on your foot, does your hand not go down to scratch it? True if you can reach it. I was even thinking about that, like, Lord, okay, like, right, I was like, is this really a good analogy? Lord, is this really me hearing you? And I'm like, well, I guess when my hands were full, I would still use my other foot to kind of try and itch it, right? So at least the other foot would be helpful. Anyway, this is the beauty of community, and I just wanted to share that with you this morning, right? We're all mature in different areas. We all need one another. We are all infants in certain areas, and then in other areas, we are mature, and that's why we need one another. So I wanted to share that this morning before I got started here, and I also just wanted to thank God because <clears throat> as I walk through this, um, this week, man, has he has he brought me to a new level of maturation, of experience with him to really truly understand what he's trying to say here um, and what he wants to kind of have me talk about this morning. Um, so let's talk about this real quick. Um, this, this idea of being an infant in Christ. 
first of all, we need to know, one, it's like it's okay to be an infant, right? It's okay to be an infant in an area, to have an area in your life where maybe you haven't fully been, like, experienced God or, be, or been mature. What's not okay is to remain an infant in an area in which the Lord has noticeably said to you, you need to do something here. When you're an infant in an area that you know Satan is trying to steal, kill, and destroy your joy and the dreams that God has for your life. John 10.10, right? It's the theme of our, of our name, 10.10. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. We know the second part of that is what we celebrate. The Lord came to give us abundant life. But the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so there are several ways that the thief kind of comes and tries to, to steal from us. And one of those ways is lying. Okay? Lies. Lots of lies. And sometimes it's not just blatant lies. It's like half-truths. So, like, you sprinkle a little truth in there, but then you follow it up with something that's kind of, like, really not true. <clears throat> one, of the, uh, one of the best um, examples of this is in Genesis chapter 3, 1 through 5, uh, in the Garden of Eden. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit in the tree in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Verse 4, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Crafty, right? Sprinkle a little truth in there. You surely won't die. Well, not that second, no. But death would come into the world as a result of that half-truth and believing that half-truth. I believe that many of us, not only just from observation but from conversations, believe a really great lie. It's like the lie that above all lies, okay? <clears throat> and that lie is you're not enough. You're not enough. To break that down, it basically means that there is something that you either need to add, do, improve in order to feel worthy. So Laura and I were sitting down yesterday, and I said, hey, sit down with me here. As she's been doing some ministry. She's heard some of these you're not good enough statements, and I was like, let's, let's sit down, let's Let's think about all the ways that, that Satan tries to mask these or the lies that he kind of tries to tell. And so here's just a quick list of them. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not making enough money. You're not a good enough mom or dad. You're not as good as others. You're not a good enough spouse. You're not good enough to get that promotion, so why try? No one can ever accept you unless you act like them or fit their mold. You're not pretty enough. You'll never be in, a, you'll never be in good enough shape. You're not successful enough. You'll never measure up to your siblings. You'll never be good enough for your parents. You'll never be good enough for God to use you. You'll never be good enough for God to delight in you. You'll never be good enough to be accepted by God. And if we're really honest, which I hope we're willing to take this time this morning to be honest, at one point or another, we've thought something like that. 
we felt like we're not enough. Some of us have learned how to deal with that and move past it. Some of us have been sitting in that for years. For years. And the reason that we act and things that we do is because we believe that we're not enough. We believe the lie. And so what's happened is we've accepted Christ. We know that he did the complete work. We can add nothing to what he did. The saint saying, you need to do more. You're still not saved enough. And we believe it. I have three goals this morning, guys. I want to equip you with the tool you'll need to expose this lie and to continue to battle against other lies because this isn't the only one, okay? I want to walk you through exposing the lie that says you're not good enough. And finally, I want to invite you. This is your part, okay? I want to invite you to surrender your limited knowledge and dreams and allow God's unlimited knowledge and dreams to direct your life. Okay? Just keep keep it open. Keep an open mind as we're walking through this, okay? If you have a Bible, I got I got to have someone open a Bible because Dave last week said he loves when the pages turn, and I'm kind of the same way. Like I need to hear people like turning the pages a little bit. And, there we go. Thank you. Just wrinkle the paper if you have to. You know, just like make me feel good. Like so, okay, Second Timothy three. Verses 14 through 17. Let's take, a, let's take a quick peek here. I'm using the NIV. It's going to be up on the screen as well. God's word says this. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you have learned it. This is Paul talking to Timothy. This is Paul saying, hey, Timothy, in the book of Acts, when we were in all these places and you watched me get persecuted and you watched me get beat up, you know who you learned everything from, okay? So that's, that's what's going on here. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 16, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Point number one, God's word has ultimate authority. God's word has ultimate authority. It's used for teaching, training, and discipleship is what that breaks down to. Rebuking, sharp reprimand, right? Listen, as I was going through this, one of the toughest things for me was like realizing that this is a very counter-cultural message. We don't like to be told you're wrong. Because if we start polarizing stuff, then people start feeling bad. Right? Our culture, we got to the left, we got to the right. You watch, you watch anything on TV, man. It's one person here with this opinion, one person here with this opinion, and we're so entertained by their competing opinions. There is no competing opinions. The word of God is ultimate authority. We cannot argue about it. Okay? Getting back to rebuking, though, sharp reprimand. Maybe we're walking in a way where we need to do a U-turn. Maybe the Lord needs to be like, stop that. You're hurting yourself. 
correction. This is beautiful because correction sounds more like rebuking, but what correction actually means is restoration. I'm going to train you up. I'm going to rebuke you and say, stop doing that. But then I'm going to restore you and bring you back to health. And finally, then I'm going to train you in righteousness. So I'm going to show you how to do the right thing. Proverbs 30, verse 5 says, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to all who come to him for protection. Saying every word of God is true. His word is a shield for those who are seeking protection, right? Keep moving on, Luke eleven twenty eight. Jesus replied, but even more blessed are all those who hear the word of God and put it into practice. So not only is the word of God there for protection, but it's some, or, and not only is it something that we're just supposed to be like informed about, like one of the really fun things on your phone is like Bible trivia, right? And you can go through it like, yeah, I know all these answers. I'm really good. I scored like a thousand. But guess what? If they like ask you to score yourself on how well you put it into practice, our score is like 20. Because we're full of knowledge, informative knowledge. But we're not really good with experiential knowledge of the word of God. And so Jesus says in there that not only is it supposed to be heard, and not only is it supposed to be read, but it's supposed to be put into practice. And the reason for that is the next one, Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is alive. It's not some stagnant book with words in it. It is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. See, if this verse wasn't in there, we could even almost make an argument to say that Putting the Bible into practice doesn't really make sense. But when this comes in and he says it's alive, it's something that is a part of our life. So we're supposed to put it into practice. We're supposed to experience. We're supposed to experience the word of God. Not just read it and not just know it, but experience the word of God. Ephesians 6, 17 says this, Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The word of God is the weapon of choice in spiritual warfare. If you guys have a chance this week, check out uh, 2 Kings 22. Just write it down, but check it out. And check out the reaction of Josiah when they found the book of law. It's pretty, pretty darn amazing. I don't have time to get into it today, but read about it. Read about how it transformed an entire nation when they found it after they had lost it for so many years. Point number two, our knowledge of God is limited. 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 13 says, Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we, sh then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, 
then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Okay? We only see a part of the picture. We have to understand this. The reason for that is because God is infinite, and we are finite. We have limitations. So we have this great big God who expands forever, and we're finite because of the fall. We can only experience so much of God. So our knowledge of God is actually limited. One of the things that we really just need to recognize about the word like knowledge, um, to know, knowledge, and I've kind of hit on it already, but I just want to hammer kind of home this point, is that there's, there's to know something, like, for instance, the best, the best way that I can say this is to say, like, if I just recently met somebody, and then I run into somebody else at a store, and they're like, hey, do you know so-and-so? Well, I can say, well, I know of them, right? So if I read the scriptures, and I know what they say, but I never put them into practice, well, I know of the scriptures, but... Somebody came to me and said, hey, do you know who Laura Ferry is? I know Laura Ferry. She's my wife. We have relationship. We have experiences together. I know her deeply. That is what type of knowledge we're talking about here. We're talking about the same type of knowledge that's in Genesis when Adam knew his wife and they gave birth to a son. That's the type of knowledge we're talking about here, okay? We're not talking about informative I can answer all the right questions on the test type of knowledge. We're talking about experiential and relational knowledge. And so we need to realize just a couple of things. We are, like I said, we are finite. God is infinite. We are limited. God is limitless. And because of our fallen nature, we only have a capacity to really know so much. Last week, Pastor Dave read that scripture from Job 38 where Job was complaining and complaining and complaining and God finally said, all right, I had enough, okay? Very patient God, so Job must have really been complaining, just saying. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. Listen, I, when I was reading this, I was like, listen, if God said brace yourself like a man, you would see the most cowardice person ever right here. I'm sorry, my bad. Like, forgive me. Okay, brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the, the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Did we begin to humble ourselves a little bit about our knowledge of God? Some things begin to come into focus, such as, like, we might need to respect the word of God as the ultimate authority. We might need to try and work at believing some of the stuff that's hard for us to believe. It's not hard to read it and be informed about it, but it might be hard for us to experience it because to do that might make us change some things that's really uncomfortable. Part three here. 
God's knowledge of us. All right. This is the fun part, right? From here on out, we're in encouragement mode, okay? So we just need to take a few minutes to realize ourselves, and now we need to realize, now we're, now we're going to be built back up. Now we're going into equip mode here, okay? You guys ready for this? All right, so last week, Pastor Dave shared a testimony. Actually, for two weeks straight, he shared a testimony about performance, acceptance, failure, shame, right? If I do really well, then I feel like I'm accepted. But if I don't do really well, then I feel like a failure and I feel shame. And then when I feel shame, I feel guilt. And then I think I need to perform more so that I can feel accepted again. And we get in this really, really, really crazy cycle of performance, acceptance, shame, failure, failure, shame. As Pastor Dave was saying, I just want to reiterate this. If we perform well and we feel accepted, the only thing that's going to drive us to is to feeling like we need to perform even more so we have more acceptance. And eventually what you end up looking like is a burnout Christian, somebody who feels like they can never be enough. We begin hearing the lie in our head, you're not enough, you're not doing enough, you need to do more. You need to add more things to your life, serve more areas, be a better friend, be a better husband, be a better wife. Pastor Dave said something so crucial two weeks ago. We have to possess love to give love. We have to possess love to know love. So we have this lie out there, right? You're not enough. So we've established the word of God is authoritative. The only thing that can speak truth, we've established that maybe our knowledge isn't nearly as much as we think we know about God. And here we go, third part. Now, what does God say about us? Okay? And so if you have a Bible, let's turn to Psalm 139, 13 through 18. We're going to read this real quick. I read that. Pastor Dave's testimony, obviously, we know about the cycle. But this is what's really cool about us being able to be transparent and as leaders being able to be transparent with you guys about even our relationship with one another is that Dave and I were having what he calls intense fellowship, right? We were having a disagreement. We were going back and forth. And how I experienced God in the midst of that conversation completely different from how Dave experienced God, right? When Dave experienced God, the words he used was, it was like the word of God showered over top of me and his grace and truth just came right over me. How I was experiencing God was completely different because my part in that was just different altogether. I was experiencing the need to encourage And the Lord was gracious enough in the midst of our friendship to be able to say, you need to speak the truth and love to your brother. That's the other thing. <clears throat> and so let's read Psalm 139, and I'll, I'll get back more into that. Psalm 139, 13 through 18. For you created my inmost being. 
You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts. God, how vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. This portion of scripture here, I mean, it states three very clear things, okay? If we're limited, God's unlimited, right? All-knowing, all-present, I'm sorry, all-powerful and omnipresent, ever-present. God is yesterday, today, and forever. God knows the thing I'm going to say 10 seconds from now. He's gonna, he knows the thing that I'm going to do two days from now. He knows the thought I'm going to have two months from now. He's there already. So we hear these, these lies in our head. You're not enough. You're not smart enough. You're not pretty enough. Right? We have two options. We can either say, well, that's true, and just accept it and continue to feel less than. Or we can take a look at the Word of God, like Psalm 139, and realize how wonderfully God has made us. You can realize that that nothing about you or the way that you've been put together was done by accident and that you're not a mistake or, or you're not a surprise. Even if you were to your parents, you're not to God. There's a God here. And there's this picture of knitting. I mean, anybody here knit? Anybody here do any knitting? Zach, I know you don't do knitting. So intricate, right? Different patterns and shapes thrown in there. Nothing's done by accident. And if you make a mistake, don't you have to start back over again? This is the picture that the Lord gives us, right? Every purpose or every ability that you have, everything about you, God intricately wove in there. Just asking a question here. Does it not make sense that Satan would want you to think less of yourself than, than the way that God has actually made you? God said, I made you in such a phenomenal way. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. And yet, we have this, these lies in our head that make us think that we need to add something more to ourselves make ourselves feel successful, look successful, feel like we're enough. So I have a, I have a confession, all right? I've already made a Lord of the Rings uh, comment, so I'm going to make another one now, okay? So if you don't have at least two Lord of the Rings in your sermons, it's like, I think there's a rule somewhere. So just saying, okay? So confessions, confession time for Danny. I didn't realize this till this morning, and I got... 
was a little upset about it, actually. But for those of you who have seen Lord of the Rings, um, there's a man by the name of Saruman. He is the keeper of Isengard, right? If you don't know it, I'm sorry. Go watch it. But sometimes I think I view God like Saruman. Like Saruman's creating this army to achieve his ultimate purpose. And without, he doesn't really have feeling. He's just really worried about like achieving what he wants to get done. And that like the army is disposable. And, you know, there's a scene in the movie where he's like, the people are like checking these like goblin looking creatures, right? To make sure that they're like acceptable to go out in the, in the battle. And sometimes I feel like maybe God's just making sure we hit the checklist so that we can like do his purpose. This might be an awful analogy, but it made sense to me. So we're going to keep going with it. Sometimes I view God that way, right? Like there's no feeling there. Like, it's just about the ultimate end goal. And that could be for any number of reasons. Some of it has to do with this. Sometimes I think that because I do know that God is all-knowing and all-powerful and omnipresent, that he's so amazing, like, that him to be relational with me just seems like the least of his worries. I think we can all relate to that. I don't think that's that far-fetched. Sometimes the amazingness of God gets in the way of relationship for me. Right? The bigness of God. And he reminded me when I was kind of thinking about this and thinking about this morning that because God is so infinite, that doesn't mean he's not capable of being relational. And this is what Psalm 139 is saying here, okay? And my thought process when I was thinking about that was completely false, and I was believing a lie. This is how the word of God works, okay? Right? Exposing lies, bringing truth to the forefront, shining light in the darkness. I had to repent. Say, God, I'm sorry that I didn't think that you were capable of being relational. Like sometimes I'm just kind of like, an, I feel like I'm an afterthought. And that's not, that's just not true. So last evening, Laura and I had like a fire going in our fireplace and we were just kind of like, we didn't even have the TV going. And she was doing some stuff out in the kitchen and I was sitting there just kind of meditating on God's word and part of God revealing to me. So this is funny. He revealed to me the second part before the first part. Listen, his ways are greater than mine, okay? So last night what he revealed to me was he revealed to me that he was not only the orchestrator of my creation, but that he was relational in my creation. So let me give you a good example. How many parents are in this room? Just like, give me a raise of hands. If you're really happy about like less sleep, if you're in that stage of life, give me like an amen. Okay. I feel like Laura and I always talk about how we haven't slept in like seven years. 
Okay. And how many of you that raised your hand as parents had hopes and dreams for your children before they were ever born? Oh, man, like 50% of you? You're a parent. Okay. All right. So catch this. This is, this is how the Lord revealed himself to me in this, okay? First John 4, 8. First John 4, 8 says, God is love. Paraphrasing, breaking it down to the very end. God is love. <clears throat> First Corinthians 13. If we replace the word love with God, which I know we've done here before, it just brings this in a better picture. God is patient. God is kind. God does not envy. God does not boast. I'm going to skip down to verse 7 where it says, God always protects. God always trusts. God always hopes. God always perseveres. God is love. His characteristics are that of love, always pursuing us, always protecting us, always hoping for us. The right, sometimes we think, like, maybe this is just me, but sometimes I think, like, God, yeah, you orchestrated me, you put me together. I think of, like, the machinery, you know what I mean? But I don't remember that as he was doing it, there was a relational component, like, I have hopes for you. I have dreams for you because you were made in love. I'm going to be patient with this, with, with my son. I'm not going to be easily angered with him. Right? It's the same feelings that we have when we're expecting as parents, right? We're filled with hopes and dreams for our children. And he's looking over us, he's knitting us together, he's looking over us with like patience and kindness and hope and protection. And how God feels about us isn't like some foreign feeling. We've experienced the way that God feels about us as he put us together, how he looks at us every single day. All right, so this is, <clears throat> if Danny makes it through this part of the message right here, we're home free, okay? So just give you guys a heads up because this is a rough one. I didn't realize the immensity of my hopes and dreams for my children until Laura and I lost our daughter. And I remember <clears throat> as I was writing kind of like a little eulogy note for the, for, the, for the service. Sorry. I kept listing out all the hopes and dreams that were dashed when we lost her. Like over and over. We lost the first birthday, second birthday. Laura can go down the list and make me cry and you cry even more. But I thought I had hopes and dreams, and then I realized I really have hopes and dreams for my kids. And then I realized when I was thinking about this last night, which really bro brought me to my knees, was that the way that God feels about us is exponentially more than I can even feel. And that's how I feel about my kids. 
And that's how God feels about you, exponentially more. He has dreams for you. He has purpose for you. He's always had that from the very beginning. It's not something that just suddenly happened. From the moment that you were put together, he knit together dreams, abilities, giftings, and purpose in you. And then there's the lie. You're not enough. Can you see the war that's being waged in those two things? Truth versus lie, meeting head to head. Let's return to Pastor Dave's message. By the way, we are home free, guys. I made it, okay? Pastor Dave said that maybe five times in his life he'd ever had heard that he was enough. And I think I want to just read, I actually listened to the message. I listened to the message, and I feel like I put it in here somewhere, but um, he said he felt like the grace and truth of God washed over him. And I was thinking about that statement this week. And I was thinking about the words that I spoke to him. And I'm paraphrasing here, but I want you guys to know the words that were spoken because, one, it's important to understand that this is, this is a community thing. We need to be willing to speak the truth and love to one another. But the second thing that we need to realize is that the truth is the truth. It's the authoritative word of God that we need to speak to one another. It's not just worldly advice or cultural advice, or just something to, like, say, hey, I'm really busy right now. I really don't care. Like, I'm just trying to get you out of my hair, but it needs to be speaking the truth in love. <clears throat> and, and I said it like this. I said, Dave, I don't know how to tell you this, but you're enough. You're enough. You are brilliantly gifted. You have so many abilities You have a wonderful family. God has given you a blessing in your family. He's given you a phenomenal community of faith, people, to do life with. You don't need to be anything else. Just let that be enough. You are enough. You don't need to do any extra work. And as I was thinking about that, that statement that I made to him this week, what I realized is really what I spoke to him, and I'm not trying to take credit here. I'm, I'm 100% giving Holy Spirit credit here, okay, was that I spoke a modern-day Psalm 139 over top of Dave. And it was the truth of the Word of God that flowed over top of him and helped to break free, break him out of some of the chains that had been binding him. That's like, that's like an amazing testimony of God's goodness to us. And here's the really awesome thing. I can't, I can't take credit for this either. This is a, a Laura Ferry line here. When we begin to root out lies, and when we begin to see the potential, the potential becomes, comes to life because we're not being bound down by lies. You know what's really amazing? 
is that um, what God drained of us comes to light and what we become is actually a form of proclaiming his glory to the world. She said it like this, when we fulfill the potential of what God dreamed us to be, we proclaim his glory. Potential has always been there. He put it there from the very beginning. All right, this is this is y'all's part here. Zach, you guys can come up. This is doing work time, all right? So if the expectation is that when we come up here, we are to equip, the expectation then for me to you guys would be that you would receive the equipping, all right? You can't, right? It's both ways. Who said amen? Right? So we don't come up here and we don't preach every week just to give a message and feel good and leave. We come here to equip so that when we go out, we can do the service, the works of the Lord outside of this building. So that when we go home this evening or this afternoon, our household can begin to look like that of peace and harmony, begin to glorify God with our homes. That our workplace begins to look like that where God is present. Not places where we're just trying to survive. Danny confession, sometimes that's me. I just need to get through this day. Okay? Places where we are thriving because we're not bound by lies. Your tool is the word of God. You read Ephesians 6 and you, you read about the entirety of the armor of God, helmet of salvation, uh, breastplate of righteousness, belt of truth, shod your feet with peace, sword of the spirit. All of it comes back to the word of God. All of it. You can't save yourself. The word of God had to come and speak to you and tell you truth and let you know that salvation was possible. So you don't just put on a, a helmet and just be like, bam, I am saved. And you don't know truth. You can't put on the belt of truth unless you read truth, unless you experience truth through the word of God. And you don't know how to be righteous if you don't read the word of God and experience what righteousness looks like in your life. So you can't put the breastplate of righteousness to know what the right thing to do as the, at the right time unless you're trained up, which the word of God is therefore training and discipleship. You can't shod your feet with peace unless you read the word of God and you see the God over and over and over and over and over again makes it possible for us to have relationship with him who forgives us a million times a million. And we realize that we don't have a right to be causing all this calamity in this world, but our, our purpose is to be peacemakers. 
Sometimes we come out the word of God with really selfish motivations, right? God, what can you do for me today? I was even taught that in church. Sometimes we come at it and it's just a checklist. Discipleship done today. Bam. Got a little check on my phone, my little app, version app. Bam, completed that plan. <clears throat> yeah, it never penetrates down to the very core of your soul to have any real life change, but you completed it. You got a check mark, you got 100%. against this lie. You cannot go into battle without the word of God. Listen, the Holy Spirit, this is what's really amazing. God invites us to join in spiritual battles, right? Through prayer and the word of God. Sometimes the Holy Spirit's like, let's go face this lie together. Let's do it. Come on. And I show up. Holy Spirit's there. Bam. Bam. And he has a fun noodle in his hand because we don't know the word of God. It just flops right over. We have one of those balloons that clowns make at a birthday party in our hand. Let's do it. Let's go defeat this thing, God. We don't have a real weapon. Then we walk away. God doesn't love me. God doesn't want anything to do with me. I'm not enough for him. My wife's not enough for me. Woe is me, Eeyore, right? From Winnie the Pooh. This is how God views you guys. I just want you to know this. I want you to grab onto this and be encouraged in this, okay? Not only did God, like, beautifully create you, but in John 3, 16... He says, he loved you so much that not only did he intricately make you, but then he sent his son to die our death, take on our punishment so that we could experience and have eternal life. And he didn't do that so you could sit around and feel bad about the fact that you're a sinner. Because the next verse says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. No condemnation there. He did it because he freely loved you. The same way that you have a, a son or daughter, you would do whatever it took to make sure that you could be in relationship with him. That's the extent and the depth and the distance that God went to have relationship with you. Not because he wanted to have something to hold over top of your head. Not because he wanted you to feel bad. Not because he wanted you to feel a conviction that made you, you know, like guilty and shamefully come before him. He just wanted to have relationship with you. Second thing. You are royalty. Everyone say that right now. I am royalty. I am royalty. Say it again. I am royalty. How many of you think that that's a lie when you say it out loud? many of you think that when you spoke that out, that felt really funny, like you felt really weird about that? Thanks. Yeah. 
First Peter, yeah, First Peter two nine says, "You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, God's special possession." The word of God is your tool. We got to quit looking at it perspective of being a discipleship tool, although that's what it is only. We've got to quit reading it just because we want to be informed about God. We need to start looking at it from from the aspect that we want to experience our God through it. This morning, I want to invite you guys. You guys can stand up. You want to turn the lights off. You're good there. You guys can go ahead and stand up. I I want to invite you, okay? Every one of us has an opportunity to open up a Bible in America. There's apps out there. There's public libraries. It's not that you don't have the tool. It's just that you don't use it. This morning, there are lies that you need to deal with. There are life. This is a lifelong journey. It's not a one-time shop, but it's equipping you for the rest of your life be able to go in truth. When something comes to your heart, when something comes to your mind that doesn't sit with the authoritative word of God, it's time to go to battle. You can choose to go to battle with a fun noodle that you want to use in your pool when you're floating around, or you can go with the sword of the word. And you can battle, and you can fight, and you can experience God in new ways. See, just because our experience and our knowledge of God is limited doesn't mean that he doesn't want to keep showing himself more and more to us because we can only handle so much. But the opportunity is there to continue to get to know him, to continue to have breakthrough. And here's the thing. Here's the really beautiful part. Is once you experience breakthrough, once you experience breakthrough, once you discard the lies out of your life, He equips you for the works of the service to go out and help others do the very same thing. This morning, I invite you guys to take some time and tell God, one, Lord, I want to surrender, and two, it's a struggle, Lord, it's a struggle to surrender. See, he wants to have a relationship with you, so he doesn't care what you say, make the effort. See, God, I surrender to your authoritative word. Lord, I surrender to the fact that you're all knowing and I'm not. Lord, I surrender that these lies are keeping me from being the full potential of what you created me to be, and I don't want that anymore. around if you want to pray with them. If you want to pray after service, we can do that as well. But don't be afraid to do work, right? Pastor Dave, anybody who gets up here is expected to come up here and help to equip. And I'm just asking that in return you would come and take what we're giving you and equip yourselves for battle. I want you guys to know I love you guys very much. 
as I was preparing this sermon this week. And I just, I entered into such deep prayer for you guys on this. Because sometimes we walk in here, we don't think that others know about our hurt. I mean, they can't perceive the hurt that others from afar, like the Lord hasn't gifted some with like the ability to discern. We act like that doesn't exist sometimes, but sometimes we can see your hurt from afar. I know there is work to be done. So take the time and do it this morning.